0: Welcome to Fierce City, a podcast where we will delve into the stories, lives, places and events that built the greatest capital city in the world. I'm PJ.
1: And I'm Satu, and we are your hosts on this journey to discover the lesser-known history of London. The Notting Hill Carnival has, in one form or another, been an annual event in London for the past 60 years. In the area of West London between Notting Hill, Ladbrook Grove and Westbourne Park tube stations, a quiet postcode that has had a tough history of poverty and violence but is now an upmarket area explodes into life with dazzling costumes, massive beats and millions of people all ready to have fun at Europe's biggest street party.
0: But the Notting Hill Carnival didn't just spring to life fully formed as the massive celebration we know it today. From its radical political roots, it was kept alive by many dedicated people who put time, work and love into creating a festival for their community. So, come along as we celebrate the Notting Hill Carnival together and raise a rum punch.
1: (laughs) Before London could embrace the noisy, sprawling joy of a real carnival, it needed to be introduced to the concept of a Caribbean carnival in the first place. The precursor to the Notting Hill Carnival as we know it today was organised thanks to a lady named Claudia Jones and her pioneering work. Claudia Jones wanted a celebration that would bring black people together to celebrate all that was great in Caribbean culture. Having been born in Trinidad and raised in Harlem, she came over to the UK in 1955, or rather was deported from the US during the McCarthyite witch hunts. Their loss was our gain And in 1958, this radical thinker started a newspaper called the West Indian Gazette from her flat above a shop in Brixton. Four months after this newspaper, covering the news and views of the Caribbean community in Britain, the Notting Hill Riots broke out.
0: Racial tensions in London were rife after World War II. In a period known as the Windrush, which was after a ship called the Windrush, which brought immigrants from Jamaica, the British government encouraged immigration from the Commonwealth countries. When people arrived looking for work and a new life, the only place they could find lodgings were in the poorest parts of London, and so a large community of immigrants sprung up in the slum areas of London, like Notting Hill at the time. The increase in diversity led to resistance from white working class people of London, and racist organisations like the Cockney clan started to wage a war against the new black population.
1: The Notting Hill riots were one such example of tensions bubbling over, and for five days over a bank holiday weekend, white racists smashed up houses and businesses belonging to West Indians. Mobs of 300 to 400 people dressed in the teddy boy style, which is like a sort of romantic Edwardian style look.
0: Sounds like hipsters of the day.
1: Like the worst kind of hipsters. Chanted racist slogans and attacked black people. In the aftermath of this violence, Claudia Jones described wanting to create an event which was a testament to the role of the arts in bringing people together for common aims and to its fusing of the cultural, spiritual, as well as political and economic interests of West Indians in the UK and at home. There was also a desire to raise funds to pay the fees of black people who had been arrested during the riots. Some people were caught with weapons by the police and they said they were carrying them to protect themselves from being attacked.
0: In discussing what this event could be, the idea of a Caribbean carnival was suggested. Now, personally, the concept of a carnival, to me, is so well known, it doesn't really need explaining. I think of Rio and the Mardi Gras, and I think of Notting Hill Carnival as well, with people dancing in the streets with colourful costumes. But your 1960s Londoner probably wouldn't have had the first clue. A bit of carnival history. Carnival harks back to the 18th century, far, far away from London, When the French arrived in Trinidad, they brought with them their established tradition of a celebration just before the Christian period of Lent began. The Trinidadian people, enslaved by the Europeans, witnessed these pre-Lent festivals, and when they finally became free men and free women in the early 1800s, in an act of celebration and defiance, they developed their own tradition called Cambulé. Canbouleh involve playing percussion instruments, and somewhere in these celebrations are the roots of calypso music in the modern carnival. Now calypso is one of the main five themes of carnival, and we'll get to all five, so it only seems right here to pause and listen to some calypso. Feel free to have a mini carnival at home.
1: You come out to jump on a- Every time you swing your hand your you just... I haven't visited the Caribbean myself, but I hear that Trinidad is a glorious tropical island in the middle of a turquoise sea. Turquoise. London isn't renowned for anything turquoise or uh, tropical, especially sixty years ago. So when a carnival was suggested in London, it was probably half as a joke. Carnival meant pre-Lent, and pre-Lent in England means the dead of London winter. It's hardly the best time to celebrate in the streets. But Jones wasn't deterred, and had the idea of bringing the carnival inside by staging it in a large community hall. She had the help of influential black artists including Edric Connor, a prominent actor and singer who was also the first black actor to appear in the Royal Shakespeare Company.
0: The first carnival took place on the 30th of January 1959 in St Pancras Town Hall, nowhere near Notting Hill. bit of St Pancras history here. Back in the 1960s, St Pancras was its own London borough and it wasn't actually until 1965 that it was merged with the neighbouring Hampstead and Hoban to become the modern London borough of Camden.
1: Where is St Pancras? It's a train station. I have no idea. Okay, great fact.
0: So today, St Pancras Town Hall is actually Camden Town Hall and on the Saturday of Carnival, it still hosts a Notting Hill Carnival party called Scandalous Saturday.
1: Hey, we should go. So back in
0: 1959, Edric Connor directed the event and people worked from midnight to 7am decking out the hall to resemble a West Indian festival in time for the Friday event. Over 1,000 people poured into the small hall room, which was cramped, and the carnival atmosphere probably suffered a bit for being contained. Regardless, the event was a huge success, and the BBC even filmed a live half-hour broadcast of it, which would have probably been the first time anything like it was shown on British TV.
1: This was so well organised and so successful, because I used to organise music events in London, and I genuinely couldn't even get them listed in Time Out, let alone on the BBC, so Jones is like really good at this. While partying, music and dance were a large part of the celebration, the main event was a beauty contest to crown the Carnival Queen. There were 12 contestants, and the winner got a free round trip to Trinidad for the more famous and much more sunny Carnival celebration there. Now, a contest to crown a beauty queen might not sound like the most obvious form of protest for a feminist activist like Jones, whose politics was so communist that her biography was entitled Left of Karl Marx. (laughs) She's actually buried to the left of Karl Marx. Really? Yeah. But in a country like the UK of the 1950s and 60s, where the only mainstream model of beauty was white, to celebrate the beauty of West Indian women was a radical act in itself. It's also just fun, and it's a way to get people involved, so bribe them with beautiful women seems to have been the method. Jones was a canny customer, and used to go around beauty salons to talk about her politics to the people who are getting their hair done, so perhaps the pageant was like a natural progression from that.
0: I think you have a crush on Claudia I do. A,
1: I honestly do a bit. You know I love a radical feminist activist.
0: Well, Jones wanted to create this event to be annual, and she was bolstered by the success in large numbers of her first carnival, so the next year they had a bigger venue in Marylebone, in Seymour Hall. Seymour Hall, which today is a leisure centre, and I go spinning there, can still be booked for events, and it has a capacity of 1,200 people. But back in 1960, they squeezed over 2,000 people into the space, and had to turn people away still. The Trinidadian Calypso and Carnival Queen competition were also back, and the schedule of performers was so tightly packed that it became clear that the spirit of Carnival was a lot bigger than the indoor venues that hosted them. The next Carnival was at the Lyceum Theatre in Covent Garden. The Lyceum is now where the uh, Lion King has been going since 1999. The Lyceum at the time had fell into disuse and became a ballroom, and was most famous for holding the Miss World competition, so it was probably fitting that the carnival queen was crowned there too. Over the next three years, carnival would take place each year indoors and continue to move around. The vibe of the carnival began to evolve from headlining this beauty contest to being more about a masquerade costume competition.
1: Masquerade is the second key feature of carnival. Ding ding ding. <laughs> So the ears enjoy the music and the eyes feast on the colours and design of the costumes. Masquerade is an ageless African practice and plays an essential role in many people's belief systems. It's not just designed for festivals, but it applies to lots of milestone things in life, like people use masquerade for marriage ceremonies. The costumes for the competition held by Jones sound fabulous. The first prize was won by Victor Critchlow, and he wore a hat shaped like the Eiffel Tower. The legitimacy of the London Carnival was further cemented by the organisers arranging for the King of Calypso, the Mighty Sparrow, to perform at the 1962 event. The Mighty Sparrow was the most celebrated Calypso player in Trinidad, and it was his first time coming to England. So it's quite the coup for the organisers and a taste of home for all those immigrants who weren't quite good looking enough to win the beauty contest and win the round trip home. Other musical entertainment was provided by limbo dancing and steel bands like the Trinidad All-Stars and the Dixielanders. Steel drums were invented in Trinidad and Tobago in the 1930s and they're made from old steel oil barrels, or they used to be. The bottom of the barrel is bashed into a bowl shape and then the inside of this pan is hammered with a pattern that creates the distinctive sound when you hit it and each one has a unique sound.
0: If I ever thought that the actual drumming was the thing that created the shape but obviously they did that first oh like
1: over time it just gets bashed out (laughs) (laughs) Uh, no i hadn't really thought about it but when i looked into it i'm
0: not that smart
1: (laughs) (laughs) the steel band is the third key element of carnival
0: So the 1960s carnival had come to England and London was its home. The indoor events proved to be a great success and they did bring awareness to local communities and helped keep the identity of the Caribbean and African immigrants alive. But containing carnival inside was never the end game and according to one of the organisers, David Russell Milner, they'd always wanted to see the carnival taking place on the streets of Notting Hill.
1: Jones's friend Corinne Skinner-Carter described her as so full of energy she exhausted everyone, even herself. But sadly, her energy ran out early. On Christmas Eve 1964, Claudia Jones, whose health had been weakened for years by the strains of poverty and stints as a political prisoner in the US, had a heart attack and died. The indoor carnival planned for February was cancelled. But it wasn't the end for the celebration. That August, on the anniversary of the 1958 Notting Hill riots, and also, finally getting some decent weather, a steel band walked through Notting Hill.
0: The baton of bringing the music of Trinidad to the public was lifted by the extremely unlikely figure of a social worker named Ron Laslett. Albeit unintentionally, as Ron Laslett didn't actually have any idea about Jones's parties, and it seems that in the history there's no love lost between Jones and Ron.
1: It's not really them. It's, um, it's kind of other people who are trying to figure out like a narrative for this history. These are honestly just two really cool women who just wanted to organise like their community and other people have maybe tried to shape what their legacy is. But no, these are totally cool ladies. I also love Ron Laslett. (laughs) Ron Laslett and Claudia Jones' party. Well, let's
0: hear more about her. So she was actually an energetic community organiser and her parents were Russian and Native American. Mm. So she was uh, born in the East End and she founded a community centre in 1965 called the London Free School. In 1966, she started the Notting Hill Fair, which was to prove that from our ghetto there was a wealth of culture waiting to express itself, that we weren't rubbish people. She invited people from various poor communities of Notting Hill, which included Ukrainians, Spanish, Portuguese, Irish, Caribbeans and Africans.
1: This fair probably made for quite a diminished sight compared to the 2,000-strong crowd Jones had attracted in Malabon. Laslett had invited a friend of her boyfriend's to play, a steel pan player called Russell Henderson, which was, it turned out, a fateful decision. He'd also played at Claudia Jones's events at the Lyceum. After playing the steel pans on Portobello Green for Laslett's little party for a while, Henderson recalls that the vibe was flagging. He suggested they go for a little walk around the area, still playing the steel pans. Such a good time was had that they repeated the act the following day, joined by some horse-drawn vehicles and up to 800 members of the public, depending on which account you read, and the seeds of the carnival procession were sown.
0: The following year sounds like it was even odder in that a goat led the procession and there was a float which had people dressed up as Henry VIII and his wives with costumes borrowed from Madame Tussauds. It kind of sounds like proper village fair stuff. And Henderson was there again playing his steel pans in the pouring rain. At the end of the festival there was a barbecue in an adventure playground. So by the time the Notting Hill Fair of 1969 came round they were getting about 3,500 people in attendance.
1: Can I tell you something about Hippie London? Go on. Because London these days has this reputation for being like, you know, expensive and glamorous and sort of international. But Hippie London is so like this because my dad was a community organiser in like the 80s or like a community worker. His job title was play coordinator and he would completely get together this sort of village fair type business like right in the middle of town and there would be steel pan bands playing and it probably would have been a goat and like literally everyone from every different community would come and really like basic food would be served and it would always pour with rain so this is very nostalgic stuff hearing about this i love disorganized charming village fate stuff basically
0: thanks for sharing so in 1970 ron lasler started to actually shy off organizing the fair because of increased racial tensions of the time There was a protest against police harassment, which had been staged due to repeated raids of a restaurant called The Mangrove in Notting Hill. The Mangrove restaurant was run by a Trinidadian community activist called Frank Critchlow. The restaurant had famous customers like Jimi Hendrix and Nina Simone, and acted as a kind of unofficial headquarters for the organisers of the Notting Hill Carnival. So the people protesting these raids on the restaurant were arrested, And their trial actually went on to be the longest and most expensive in the history of the Old Bailey. But it led to acquittal of all of those charged. The spirit of the Mangrove restaurant is somewhat kept alive today in that it's now a Caribbean chain restaurant called the Rum Kitchen.
1: So the spirit of the the food fair rather than the political spirit, maybe. In the face of the violent protests, Laslett became worried about people getting hurt in any further altercations, especially children, and decided to drop the plans for the carnival that year. She passed the reins to a small group of local people who decided they didn't want to let the fun stop. They managed to arrange a smaller, maybe even less well-organised event that nevertheless kept the thread going. I think it sounds quite nice. It was an open-air dance party with free toffee apples, soft drinks, and rolls.
0: Rolls.
1: (laughs) History does not record what was in the rolls, sadly. Mm,
0: That's a terrible shame.
1: I tried to find out for you. 1971's event was about the same, but for some reason in 1972, the timing was right and the crowd showed up. Hundreds of people were dancing away in the afternoon as the bands played and by the time they made their move to walk through the streets, the road was so full they couldn't get the floats through on their planned route. So they just went off in a different direction and went wherever they liked. This was the last time the carnival was this charmingly disorganised and really the last time it could be because it's about to blow up. In 1973, a guy called Leslie Palmer came on board after seeing an advert in Time Out placed by the Trust who helped to organise the event. He took over running the festival and he totally transformed it into a celebration of West Indian culture. His vision was to include every Caribbean island in the festivities and to encourage traditional masquerade. Crowds of up to 10,000 people showed up on the Monday of the festival to dance around the floats and amplified sound systems in the Jamaican style. Which were brought in for the first time.
0: And with that, actually, we'll stop because I'm going to mention that would be the third kind of uh, ah. carnival event, which is sound systems.
1: Ding, 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 carnival bingo. Uh,
0: and today there are about 40 of them pumping out music all weekend.
1: Hmm. Hey, hey. Leslie Palmer's festival went down a treat, and the Kensington News and Post wrote cheerily that 15 years after the low point marked by the famous race riots, policemen and black West Indians were last weekend literally dancing together in the streets.
0: So whilst the racial tensions were easing, the carnival became almost too successful from an organisational point of view, and it attracted almost 150,000 people the next year. Whoa. The event was sponsored this time by Capital Radio and it featured 17 bands with reggae as well as traditional Trinidadian calypso. Calypso was also developing other faces like soca, which was invented by Lord Shorty in the early 1970s. And with the word soca comes the last of Carnival Bingo, I'm afraid, because soca is the last of what makes up Carnival. And with that, here we go with my favourite soca. carnival that year also featured a lot more police officers than ever before. And actually, by 1976, the tensions between young black men and the police force were so high that some of the revelry actually turned into rioting. Oh. In the aftermath of that year's carnival, the organisation committee had huge rows about how to proceed and they split into different factions.
1: They actually split into factions ab- around the different carnival bingo things. Interesting. Yeah so some of them were more into sound systems, some of them were more into masquerade and that actually divided people. Which is
0: mad because obviously racial tensions were getting higher and they should have come together.
1: Oh if only, can't we all just get along?
0: Also actually as well as the factions many local residents and the press turned against Carnival as well and then for many years the coverage became negative and racially charged.
1: But Carnival continued during the 80s and in the 1990s it started to sort out its commercial life a bit. In 1995, much mourned, at least by me, Tropical Soft Drink Lilt sponsored the carnival. And uh, if you're looking for a Christmas present for me, PJ, there is an official Lilt Notting Hill Carnival souvenir programme on eBay.
0: I'm going to buy you a tiser.
1: <laughs> a Tizer for a souvenir programme. I can imagine the, the cover of the Lilt souvenir programme has like colour change stuff in it. International hyper colour programme. That same year, the organisation that promotes British culture, the Arts Council, created a national carnival database that I think was meant to provide a record of people who contributed artistically to the festival.
0: Today, carnival is absolutely heaving, with two million party people descending on the narrow streets of Notting Hill each year. That's 11 times bigger than Glastonbury.
1: That is phenomenal. I did not know that. That's not a very big area to get 11 Glastonburys into.
0: Absolutely. And only Rio's carnival is bigger than ours. And that's probably understandable, considering the weather and general party (laughs) atmosphere in Rio. (laughs) But in London, if the weather isn't cooperating... Which it won't be. ...then at least the carnival will brighten up your day. The amazing colourful costumes of the mass bands who take part in the parade are a gorgeous aspect of the carnival. Mass stands for masquerade and consists of a steel band providing a walking rhythm with people in themed costumes with many dancers and other general followers. They walk around the parade route showing off their creations and generally providing an awesome spectacle.
1: If you've seen Rihanna's Instagram this year or in previous years, that's what she's part of, a mass band in her gorgeous like feathered wings and glittery bikini. About 15,000 people dress up in amazing masquerade costumes and the work that goes into them is phenomenal. People get together at mass camps in the months running up to the carnival to make the costumes by hand. Sometimes hundreds of people getting together to make these costumes in like a church hall or someone's living room and they sew like maniacs to get them ready in time. A costume designer called Clary Salandi told The Guardian, that the best costumes have to work well from a distance, so they have to be bold and dynamic and have lots of movement. But when you get close up, you have to be able to see the detail. Carnival is a language. Every shape, colour and form is used like words or symbols, and the best costume speaks that language fluently.
0: In addition to the mass bands and the static stereos, The carnivals also brought with it other traditions, such as one mass band called Pure Lime, which is a 750-person strong float who had their own twist on the celebrations by covering themselves and spectators in melted chocolate. This is a part of a celebration known as Dirty Mass, which harks back to when anti-slavery campaigners in Trinidad would smear themselves with oil or paint to avoid being recognised by the authorities during the revolts. Some other carnivals in the world still use engine oil. So I think we can be grateful that in Notting Hill, you'd only be smothered in melted chocolate.
1: Oh, on a hot day, when you're walking like the entire route of the carnival as well, if you manage, you've got smeared with chocolate.
0: If you look at at the photographs, people are covered in head to toe. And also they won't warn you, you will just get smothered with chocolate. Oh, really?
1: carnivore is just such an awesome thing about london it's something to be really proud of people all around the world will see like a ton of coverage everyone's instas will be absolutely full of like bright feathers and glitter and diamante and given that london is like mostly quite gray and you know like we have beautiful architecture it's not a dump but it really does add something to like the mix of cool stuff that happens in london
0: i do think it's a testament to all the progress that's been made from the 1950s which were darker times mm. and then through to all of the you know hard work of the people in the civil rights movement mm. in the
1: 60s to make it what it is today yeah you know like actually relatively speaking there's so little crime and violence um I read a stat you said about I didn't realize that it was so big compared to Glastonbury but Glastonbury relatively actually I think has more crime but you just don't really see people like freaking out Over that, and I think maybe just because it's right in London, so it's really visible that sometimes the coverage has been a little bit negative, like, oh, watch out for crime or whatever, don't get pickpocketed. But it's like a street festival, it's like any event.
0: And you're so right, the crime is barely kind of on the radar considering how much money it brings into the local community in terms of cost of policing versus
1: oh yeah i read that it was like 93 million pounds it adds to london and it costs like let's say a handful of millions to police it and generally i don't remember really seeing any policemen when i've been i mean I'm, they're there i probably just don't even notice because i don't think it's heavy-handed well the most
0: noticeable police presence recently is in the youtube clip of one of the dancing <laughs> policemen um i think you have a uh, good quote to kind of sum up
1: Oh, yeah, I do. Not that I'm interested in Claudia Jones and completely neutral on the topic of Claudia Jones, as you know. But she said, a people's art is the genesis of their freedom. And I think that really speaks to how Trinidadian culture and West Indian culture in general has turned into this really beautiful, positive thing. We've learnt how political it's been. So from these deeply political roots, just this gorgeous, happy visual display
0: So if you're thinking of visiting Carnival uh, this year, we're recording our episode a week before the 2017 Carnival, which looks to be the biggest jet. And if the streets are a bit overwhelming, there's tons of warm up parties you can go to. Maybe check out a steel band competition on the Saturday. Watch the monarch of Calypso crowned in the Calypso tent. And Sunday is Kids Day, where things are just a little bit more fun and mellow. And the main parade is on the Monday.
1: On Bank Holiday Monday, the parade starts at 10am. It's three and a half miles long, the route, and the parties will run late into the night. We've repped time out quite a lot in this episode, but it's just absolutely true that it's been a really long supporter of Carnival, and they have the most comprehensive guide to everything that's going on there over the weekend. So check that out for where all the best sound systems are, so you don't have my fears about missing out. So if you want to join in living history, head west, make sure you get a plate of chicken, rice and peas and neck rum punch while you're there. And we found the perfect bit of music to play us out. This is Lord Kitchener, London is the place for me. London is the place for me London, this lovely city You can go to France or America India, Asia or Australia But you must come back to London City Thank you for listening to Fierce City, telling the tales of our very favourite city in the world and home, London.
0: If you like our podcast, then please subscribe or write us a review. You can also email us at londonhistorypodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet us at Fierce City Pod if you want to get in touch to let us know what you'd be interested to hear or you can also catch us on Instagram now.
1: We've also got a website, fiercecity.co.uk, where we put all the resources for things we read and research for this podcast, so you can keep us honest. And also, I'll put up where we got the music for this episode from, because I love it.
0: Fierce City was written and produced by the two voices you've heard. Thanks for listening.